Okay, thanks so much, hey. Thanks. Um, great. Excellent. Fabulous. Um, let me firstly, let me firstly say that, let me, let me come back to uh, what an honour it is to be here. And uh, one of the great conversations I had yesterday was with Stuart and with Heather as well, that just, just, it just, it just, I just saw how remarkable it was what's happening in this region, that in a town a million miles from, from everywhere, right, that they should have like, like 600, they should, they should influence the lives of 600 children every year, at summertime every year, have so much connections with so many Indigenous people and, uh, and, and keep the spirit. Stuart and Heather, your spirits are amazing. You know, they really are amazing, you, 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 aren't they? You know, I think you've kept your spirits jolly. You've kept your, you've kept, um, remained cheeky. I think it's, I think cheekiness is sometimes a gift, isn't it? But you remain fresh. I just, I just, I think it's just, it is brilliant. You know, the Bible says in James chapter one or so, it says that the true religion is to uh, minister and care for orphans and widows, you know, which, which it would be amongst the tribe that you're looking after. And like, there's a purity there. And, uh, and I've got to say, it's really, uh, it's really helped my life out just meeting the two of you. You know, I come from a city, everything's too efficient, everything's too, um, too straight. Uh, too narrow, and then to see the breadth of your life, and to see that that even in your spirits now, there's no there's no sense of stopping, you know. And um, I think it's excellent, you know. I think don't don't downsize what you've done, and thinking that you got to do some more. I think if you do more, like build the building and that, I think that's 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 like extended play. <laughs> you know, there's no real need for it. Because cause your true investment isn't leaving a legacy of a building. It's leaving seeds in human hearts. And, and because that's invisible, like seed in the earth, we can sort of think, oh, we need to leave something substantial. And I'll just, I'll just say this. You don't actually need to leave a building. Buildings are secondary. They're symbolic, right? But they are, they are secondary. And, um, but there's no need to do that because, because of the long-term investment you've made. That's proper legacy. You know, I think sometimes we get caught up in 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 um, we get caught up in leaving a legacy uh, when some some moves have got because you've got the gift from God. No one can actually copy that. No one can actually replace that. And I think that sometimes you think, oh, I can pass the baton and somebody else will continue the work. They'll continue the work, but it'll be completely different. And I've got no problem with one generational moves of the Spirit of God because it's tied to the person's gift, and no one can replicate your gifting. You know, so I, so I say, well done, good and faithful servants, and um, the work will continue. But but you know, we're not the, the next person won't replicate it, and this and and also why should they? You know, you've planted so much seed and you've done so much and and you've helped so many people's lives out. I just I just think, well done, good and faithful servants. You know. <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll rant and rave slightly. One of the enemies, uh, one of the enemies that that I've that I've contended with, that we all contend with, is success culture, and is keeping up with the Joneses. And it's and it's success culture has a perfectionism to it that wants your church to look perfect all of the time, and wants you to look perfect all the time. A lot of times, there's an ugly stage in all of our lives when God undresses us, and we look awkward, and we look um, we look unco uncoordinated, and um, and we look unattractive. But you know, when you're pouring concrete for the base of a skyscraper, it, it's it's unattractive. 
the, the only attraction after doing renovations is when the carpet's put down, you paint the walls and that, but all the other stuff's quite unattractive. And I think that there's, there's nothing wrong with, when I go into a church and I see that the church is going through a construction or going through a change, I think this is good news, you know? And, and so there's, there's a desire for us to look fully grown and yet we're only six years of age. And the only way you can do that is through steroids. And steroids, steroids eventually make that child infertile. So, so there's, a lot of, there's a lot of churches on steroids. And you've got to watch you don't copy them. I remember when we were in, when we were in, in year five, I think like some four or five, and, and we had a, a drummer came into church, right? And we had a, a drummer already, but they weren't very good. And this drummer played for Duran Duran, which, which was a major rock band in the United Kingdom. And uh, he did the European tour for Duran Duran, did some other stuff. So a major drummer. So he was on drums pretty quickly after he entered the church because I was mesmerized. And also I wanted to show off to everybody else that we had the drummer from Duran Duran in our church right? until he slept with somebody's niece. And that just, that just put a spanner in the works, right? Because he couldn't play drums anymore because he was a bad boy. Uh, and, and eventually he, he not only didn't play drums, but he left the church, right? The problem wasn't his problem. The problem was my problem. I, I lifted him up. I, I tried to speed ahead the, the movements of the Spirit of God. And you know when it comes to the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness, right? That, was, that wasn't Satan trying to slow Jesus down. It was Satan trying to speed Jesus up. You know, in that, in that he's on day 14 of his fast. Hey, turn these, turn these stones into bread and you can eat now. No, 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 I'll be eating in about, let me think, 20, 26 days time. So, so all three temptations were to speed up a shortcut, the movements of the Spirit of God. And we sort of think, oh, Satan wants to slow us down. No, 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 he wants to speed us up. <laughs> wants us to have stuff before our time. Wants us to, to promote people before their time for promotion. And so he invents success culture that makes you want to keep up with influ- influences church. You, you want to keep up with, with, um, with what's going on at... Um, in Melbourne at um, Numa Church. Here's the problem with the miraculous, right, is, the, is with the supernatural and the miraculous, it empowers everybody. And the first chapter in the book of discipleship is depowerment. What, you, what you're looking for is to get rid of the rebellious spirit. Because if you empower the rebellious spirit, you're going to create more empowered rebels. And so it's got to come an induction into the life of the church where people are deep out. The day that we had open, open prophecy, those were bad days. And it's only bad days because, because people had, um, they're addicted to profile. So you had the same three people coming up every single week. Some of you wouldn't even know about, but that you had the same three people getting every week giving a, giving a prophecy. And what they were doing is trying to bypass the leadership process and bypass the, the process of advancement by, by quickly bypassing it by being in prophecy. So sometimes in your church, sometimes you oh, what we need is, is we need signs and wonders and miracles. Someone say, oh, maybe that's not quite the time for it. You know, maybe you just need to, to, to sober it down a bit and continue to have discipleship and continue to have measured development in the church, you know. I think with, with if, if, um, if you know Numa Church, that there's a very strong structure there. The church for a start was Bridge Street, which was Richmond so it's, it's Richmond Temple. So it, it's got a huge treasury underneath it, right? It's got, it's, got, it's got a strong, mature leadership base to it. It's, it hasn't got fractures in it. It's got, there's something very st- strong about it, stronger than most churches. And so they can withstand a barrage of, of uh, people being 
profiled and then they can withstand when the tide goes out because tides of healing never remains full tides of healing they do go out but there's a strength there to handle it when it goes out some churches there isn't i remember back in the toronto days when the when the tide went out everybody left right it, nobody joined the church through toronto and that was a move of signs and wonders and miracles and people on the floor manifesting that they were they were in one respect powerful times but they didn't mature the church so you have to have a balance between uh, charisma and character, you know. And but you don't want to be just another Karen, just creating character. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Well, my name Dave. Dave's Dave's the name for a generic middle-aged man who's lost his marbles, right? So, so, but but you do want it. You do want to liberate charisma which is personality at the same time as develop character you know and two wings of the dove in a way but but it's our job to mature the saints and so sometimes you can you can be you can rain on a parade to do it but sometimes you just need to have the 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 right amount of rain the right amount of pizzazz you know i i love fairy dust as long as people don't um you know don't interpret that as as gold dust you know you want you want to have a fun time but you do want to create mature people you know so uh, this is my story, and then we can maybe have questions and answers, I think. But my story is that we, we went to England 29 years ago. There was a disaster a Hills, called Hillsborough where 100 people got, got squashed in a soccer stadium, and they got suffocated. Uh, I think it's 99 people died. They're all Liverpool supporters, but I didn't know exactly where. Oh, sorry, Karen. Picking on Karen, you know. You know. And there's a thousand balloons that all burst, right, just around the, the, around the side. Sorry, Karen, sorry, sorry. And it was a kid's birthday, and they had the, sorry, sorry, Karen. And, and um, so I felt, I felt a, um, I, maybe not compassion, uh, but I felt a uh, trigger to, because um, we're looking to leave youth ministry. We've been there for five years at a church called Life Church in Brisbane. And, uh, and then we had then, so we, we, we went, did a little tour and uh, somewhat, we went to Sheffield just to do one night before Christmas on a, on a wintering night. And someone said, why are you here? I said, uh, we're here because of Hillsborough disaster. And they said, do you know where it is? And I said, no. They said, it's three miles down the road. And so then we sold everything and uh, moved from Brisbane to Sheffield. It, it's shock value going to England because it's so depressed and it, there's no trees anywhere in the cities it's all terrace housing and, and it's all i think i think there's more council housing in sheffield than there is private housing so it's a very very poor repetitively poor uh place for people to live uh, but we were called there and and i have a sense of adventure that that we are called not to fit into this culture we're called to actually be a part of the future for this culture to rise up into and we were there 29 years, right, unfitting. We didn't fit for a single day. Every single day, uh, I drove to church as a missionary. So there wasn't one day I drove to church as a resident. Let me call that Christianity. That's called being a Christian. Because we are foreigners in this. In this. We, we, even if you have a brilliant marriage, you're still 10% lonely. Because, because we belong to, a, to a, a place whose architect and builder is God. And so the idea of f- feeling fully content this side of heaven is, is wrong, you know? So, so we, we're born of God, not born of the earth, born of angels, born of the divine, not born of dust. 
And so, so we're, we're carrying this spirit and trying to um, launch a church in, a, in an area where very few people go to church. You know? So in year number five, I think a third of the church left in year number five. I had um, made three elders prematurely, and then I had a guy called Glenn Barrett come. At, he was maybe 23, 24 years of age, came to the church. But he was, he was like the plumb line of Zerubbabel, straight down in exactly what I wanted the church to become. So I stuck him on eldership, made him the associate minister. And whenever you, whenever you tamper with the, with, with the inner sanctum call it the eldership of the church it it has it has devastating effects because people put their security on their function and so there was a there was a crack that started and again it should never have been formed it was formed out of my own insecurity a crack that started as i as i started to lean upon this guy called glenn and less lean upon another guy who is on eldership right so that's a rebalance of power in a church and so so then he he then caused a commotion and then has had great influence within the church maybe took a third of the church with him that eventually ended up nowhere because it had no anointing on it right um, but it did it did bring it did was a testing for our church and those people that were there then in our church they're the ones who became the pastors that like let's say they're 18 19 years of age they became the pastors and for for the following 25 years right so if they were if they were 20 years of age then then when I left they were 45 years of age do you get it so you just have to be around long enough after a testing and, uh, and, you know, people that you, you see no long-term potential because they're still 17 years of age, right, become absolute champions um, as, as time progresses. So uh, we started a, um, a home for uh, women with life-controlling issues that eventually moved into a ministry, uh, government-funded, uh, to rescue people from uh, sex trafficking. And eventually had 15 safe houses across Britain and uh, we ministered in outreach to, in the last five years, to 3,000 people through outreach. And we housed 600 women, some men, some children, uh, to uh, give them their identity back. Because every one of them stripped of their identity. And then there was one time I shared on Sunday that, um, that my wife, who headed up the ministry, um, there was 35 prams outside one of the rooms that's having a meeting that you couldn't take photographs of, right? But those 35 prams are women that were born out of a rape in the brothels so so it's, it's quite a staggering ministry when when and this is the same for you when you are on the front line and trying to break new territory it seems like of the world today that satan is against apostles and prophets he's against the breakthrough agents you know when you've got an apostolic gift you you've got the gift to shift mountains it's a, it's a god gift right the problem with shifting mountains is you also annoy a lot of people because you shift a lot of things like protected flora and fauna that shouldn't be shifted, right? But it's your gifting. You're in a bulldozer. And so it's quite easy to, in this culture now, to knock out the bulldozers because the bulldozers are just on your marks, get set, go. Let's bring down this mountain. So there's an attack upon mountain-moving ministries. And, and you know, most of the problems with uh, Brian Houston are not leadership problems. They're not lifestyle problems. They're satanic problems. You know, and if anything, he's been punched stronger now from Satan than he was in, in midstream because he's more vulnerable now than he was in midstream. You know, Satan punches you at the beginning when you're birthing something, he then punches you at the end for having done something and he's hated every minute of it. <laughs> that's that's my impression, you know. So um so uh, one of the we we 
I'll tell you something just to just to add a little bit of flavour to this, right? That about um, I'm going to say 15 years ago, uh, my wife had a break a breakdown because we were running this house for women with a life controlling issues, and it was just it was day and night, day and night. We weren't in the house, right? But it was day and night, day and night. So she had a bit of a breakdown, and um, and then and then she couldn't make many decisions, right? And I said to the girl who was who was who had taken her place while she was sick, right? I said, we need to get a bigger house, right? Because this house held 10 girls and we found a house with 30 rooms in it. So I said, oh, we need to, we need to expand this ministry. So I'm just in expansion mode all the time, right? Which is both a, a gift and a fault. And uh, my wife said to me, she said, oh, don't do it. She said, don't do it. She said, I don't feel right about it, right? And, um, and this is a lesson for every guy to listen to their wives. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, we're going to do it. And so we did it, right? And it was a complete mess, right? Because the amount of intensity with people with life-controlling issues, stick 30 of them together. And, uh, and so, so it was a bit of a mess, a schmozzle what is what you call it, right? And then, and then one of the girls who came in, uh, at, at the end of her session, uh, her season there, she wanted to create a prostitution ring out of girls who had come through prostitution and were now made whole, right? So, so I said, no, I said, you're going to have to leave the church, right? It took her eight years to find a journalist. And she finally found a sympathetic journalist. As, as the Me Too campaign shot up, right, they then treated her as someone that was misused by authority. And so she found a journalist who then made us... Uh, ho- made me a fo- homophobic pastor and made the church homophobic just to pick on an, a, a, a modern issue, right? Made us control freaks. The, the, the issue was completely wrong, though, because we had a, a volunteer worker that was a lesbian. One of the girls came into the program and became a lesbian because one of the workers was a lesbian, right? So if anything, we were pro-lesbian. Anyway... Um, by default. I'm just saying by default, right? If anything, the evidence would say that we're the opposite, Right? And uh, so that became a national news story. I'll tell you something really funny, right? In that, in that uh, like Stuart, uh, we, yeah, we, had, we, we did some funny things. One of the funniest things I did, right, was, was to be sardonic or satirical. And I did this little video of, of leadership lessons from me. And I was in a hot tub and all my team were outside the hot tub. So it's ridiculous, right? So I'm, I'm in a hot tub and this is leadership lessons, which is just ridiculous, right? Because it's so, I'm, I'm having, I'm playing on the fact that there are leaders like this out there, right? And then, and so it was a complete joke, right? But on national TV, as I'm watching this thing about me, up comes me in the hot tub. I'm thinking, no, 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 that was a joke. That was me. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> that was me sending up people that are like that. That's not me. <laughs> So I kind of learned, I learned that you can't beat this, this thing, you know. And, uh, and then they had a two-year inquiry. We were let off because we did nothing wrong. But it's still inquiries when you're in a position of authority and running a charity. They, 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 they did exhaust us, you know. Um, and so my wife was right. Don't expand the house. You know, but my, my I think a success culture makes you want to, it to be bigger than it actually should be. You know, I, I've, I've, mis- I've got the wrong pacing uh, for doing things, you know. So, so that was a precursor, though. I thought that's the end. God's created character in me. Uh, but we had, um, we had more and more black people coming into our church, right? Because, because they, they were coming out from black churches, right? Which, which are notoriously controlling churches, right? Controlling leadership. The dads are control freaks, right? They're, they're absent. And then when they're there, they're present. They're over, overly disciplined, right? Just, and so a lot of the young adults came to our church, right? They were, they were loving it, but what I realized is, is they went from church to church without going from church to Jesus. 
And so there was a certain religious zeal, but it wasn't based upon, it was based upon the freedom of our church, not based upon the freedom of Christ. And so I made, I made, I made one um, stipulation that became, uh, that became a major thing. And I said that every third singer on the platform needs to be white. So what I'm trying to do, right, is I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep the church as a, as a multicultural, international church. But we had a black activist, right, that was, that was at the tail end of, of this accusation uh, of being anti-gay, right? And, uh, and this black activist started to pick up on it saying, hey, that's racist because you're actually curbing uh, the number of black people that are on the stage. So she worked overtime, uh, you know, and it was creeping up. It was, it was, it was a problem, right? And, um, and there, was a, there was an increase in black power in the United Kingdom. A part of it came from Black Panther, the movie, because that was all, all black actors, right? And the most successful movie of all time. And meanwhile, in America, Barack Obama is empowering black people. So you've got this huge empowerment going on, and for us, an accusation of racism. And then, of all things, uh, George Floyd is murdered. And so that just, that just caused a, a huge uprising in Black Lives Matters. And then we had this issue that looked like an issue of racism that was actually an issue of, of, of multiculturalism in that you want the church not to be white, you don't want it to be black, you want it to be multi- But straight when you say, I don't want it to be black, then you can, you can be quoted on that. And that itself sounds like a racist. You with me? So whatever you do. So, so this, is, this is us. My wife and I thinking, oh, we, we don't feel like we're meant to stay here. What are we meant to do? And then there was, there was a lack of uprising from my team because some of them had get, got older because they're running uh, locations that should have been independent locations. So, so it was a, a, an amassing of five or six cultural waves plus um, social media has empowered the masses to, to become uh, work like mobs and work like gangsters and work uh, like the mafia. Uh, let me just say my theory, right, is the spirit that was in uh, Islamic fundamentalists that seems to have disappeared, right? Because it was mighty, wasn't it? You know, five years ago, it was just, we were on the search for them. There's police all around London and that, right? Seems to have vanished, but it didn't vanish. It then morphed into behind this, the movements that you and I know today that became vi- inwardly, vocally, vocabulary violent. And so then holding every big company to account uh, under the threat of, we'll boycott you. And so there's huge ch- change in world culture. So we caught the spillover from it. And, uh, and, then, and then we had to resign from it. But I've got to say this, right, that... that, that for me, that was a moment, a Joseph moment for us, in that this was a moment that led us to not just persecution, but led us to migration. And the answer to my prayers was, Dave, it's time to move back to Australia to empower Australians for the work of the ministry. And that was the end of our ministry in the United Kingdom. So even though it came to a crashing end, the 28 years was, was a glorious 28 years of carving through impossibility with the power of Christ. And so I, I think what I've learned is you can't judge the whole thing by the end of something. You know, and I think culturally, if you are on the cutting edge of culture, you're in a very dangerous situation nowadays. And, and 
you know, what I have learned sovereignly is two times Jesus slipped through the crowd. There was one time in Nazareth that they, they were going to stone him to death, slip through the, push him over a cliff, slip through the crowd. Another time in Jerusalem, they're going to stone him to death, slip through the crowd, right? So, so often as Christians, we're slipping through the crowd because our time hasn't come. But there are moments where persecution leads to crucifixion uh, where your time has come. But that's a precursor to a great move of the Spirit of God. So I, I feel in me, if I interpret it correctly, that even though some, some leadership decisions could have been made better, for example, uh, the vision of our church to be multicultural should have been spoken every single week. Because then if I said every third thing is going to be black, to, uh, every third thing is going to be white, it will be understood in the realm of vision. Once you get rid of vision, it's one, two, white, one, two, white, which, which I suspect is what was happening on the grassroots level, which is a lack of diligence in leadership to keep the vision alive, right? So I do, I do respect we've made problems in our, in our delivery, not putting vision first but at the same time I do see the sovereign hand of God in it and I do think that one of the moves of the spirit of God right now is migration you know that God God's migrating migrating people it's like it's like it's like David and and Loris uh, that God's migrated them to Ayala it's it's an it's an unusual thing that that they should get a word from God so specific so specific you know, no, that's right. No, that's right. But it, it's so supernatural, though, that, that that's a part of an end times move of the Spirit of God because migration done under the will of God, you know, and I think that's the way you want to see it. And I think that's what God's doing is perfectly positioning people uh, and, and causing a lot of movement to happen in the church of God over the last couple of years. To, to reposition people for an end time move of the Spirit of God, you know. So I'll just finish on this, and then you can ask me some questions. That that one of the things I, I wake up because I realise that that for for a woman, the number one issue generally for women is relationships, broken relationships, right? For a guy, the number one issue is broken reputation. And it's very hard to fix a reputation if you've got a rep. If somebody said, "Hey, you're a racist," is you can't actually say, "I'm not," right? Because no one's interested in what you have to say, right? So you have to, in one way, live with a damaged reputation, right? And if you're a woman, generally you live with damaged relationships, right? But what I have learned, and I shared this on Sunday, that God's, God, God places his perfect power upon the fractures of our greatest weakness. And either relationally or reputationally, that's where God puts his perfect power. So I would say that every day, every second day, I wake up, I say, Lord, I feel damaged, I feel, I feel broken. And then God reminds me, yeah, yeah, Dave, but that's where I place my perfect power. And I've, everything that's happened before has been good power, but not perfect power. And so I'm, I'm, ready, to, I'm ready, you know, to not try and fix up my reputation. I'm ready to, 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 to say upon that platform, it's now become a holy platform because that's where God builds his towers of strength. And so, so I feel, and you, I say this because it's probably your story, I feel vulnerable. You know, I feel, I feel a measure of exposure, and I feel vulnerable, and I feel, I feel if I use the word wobbly, not, not 100% wobbly, but, but I do feel um, slightly out of control. But I do recognize that's the landing pad. If there ever was a landing pad in Dave Gilpin's life, it wasn't five years ago. 
the landing pads right now. You know, and I think that if you walk with a limp, right, welcome to the club called Christian. Because Jacob walked with a limp, right? And, and Paul prayed for, for this thorn to leave his side three times. Whatever that thorn was, he prayed three times and God didn't answer it because God had a more powerful response to it. So that's where the anointing is going to come from. And I can't see, when it comes to authority, I can't see your anointing coming from anywhere else but from the thorn. And, and with thorns, sometimes you, instead of rejecting the thorn, sometimes you need to make a statue of the thorn. And sometimes you need to realize this is the place where God touches earth and I'm a candidate for it. So if there's a slight undoing in your lives, hey, there's a slight undoing in my life. If there's a slight playing with your own self-confidence, hey, I'm losing self-confidence, but I'm gaining God confidence, you know. And, and I'm realizing this is an even repositioning of my heart to become a Heathrow so that God could land on it in his Boeing 747 of power, you know. And I think that's what's happening here for sure. God's creating a landing pad. And I think what we want isn't a repeat of history. It's too linear. It's too one got saved, another got saved. Oh, that one who got saved first got backslid. <laughs> so it needs to be a lot more multipli- multiplicable. It needs to be a lot more revivalish. So because we're the answer, it needs to firstly have a change in our hearts. We're the doorway to the future. And then God opens the door and we see God's power upon our lives. So that's my story. I've left the most vulnerable part to the end, but that's my story. And maybe it relates and you can trigger that, you know. I think if I was, if I was still in success culture, I'd present far more together Dave Gilpin. But I think I'm doing a sin by doing that. I think you want to present something, a little bit of a mixture between dust and diamonds. And together I think we're going to see incredible things happen. Uh, who's, okay, let's have let's have uh, a few questions and a few a few try a few answers. Have a think about it, or something that I've said during this whole uh, last uh, this out of these three sessions that you thought, oh, that's a really good point, and that's made a difference to my thinking, or something that that I've challenged. Is there another is there another microphone around, or we could do it with that? Here's one, and we just pass it around behind you, uh, Bloon Lady. Karen. Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say thank you for your testimony. It's been amazing. Oh. When did you find your faith? I went at City University. I was studying civil engineering mm-hmm. and, uh, and I, I partied a lot and then found that it was, it was, it was empty. Mm. And, then, um, and then I thought uh, I had a gap in the shape of God. So I became a Christian. 1980, I became a Christian, you know. Thank you. I've got one. You've you've mentioned, for the sake of everyone else here, you you explained it better on Sunday Mm. about your thorn-shaped statue. Do you want to explain that for everyone? Oh, yeah. Just if you drive, there's a town called Enterprise in America. I think in 1910, they built a statue to a weevil. And everyone thought, why, why would you do that? Because either there's a statue to Bill Clinton or a statue to Abraham Lincoln. Why would you build a statue to a weevil? And it's because this, this weevils came over their cotton plantation and destroyed it, right? And they were doing quite well. Destroyed the whole economy of the region. And then someone at the council said, hey, maybe we need to change crops. So they changed crops to peanuts and they became the most wealthy region in, in that part of America, right? And so they thought, we're going to have to honour this. Where's, who's the person who suggested it? And no one, could, no one could remember who suggested it. So I thought, well, let's, someone said, let's do a statue to the weevil. And then it says in the bottom, it says, in profound appreciation. 
of the weevil that heralded such prosperity. And I, I think some of us, you know, complain about having a bad dad or an absent dad. You complain about, you know, health problems, which, which is right to complain about them. But there's a lot of things we complain about, but they, they are the makings of us. How do you know you're fully healed? When you can make a monument to a weevil. That's when you know that you're fully healed, you know. And, and it might be too early for a lot of us to do that, but we're on our way to doing that, you know, um, because, because all things work together for good to those who love God, called according to his purposes. Let's have five more questions just to let you know so you can distribute it thinking, oh, I might as well go do one of my five. My articulation won't be uh, any good. All right. Um, you were talking before, like briefly at times about um, like different campuses and those leaders probably should have had it themselves. Mm. What, what distinguishing factors for any church in general would be between, all right, this is a healthy campus structure to then, yeah, we should release that to... Yeah, that's awesome. I think when someone's growing and developing, right, and I think generally uh, someone, generally in their 20s, are, uh, if, if, teenage, if, if teenage years are experimental years, 20s are acceleration years, right? And then 30s, because you get arrogant in your early 30s, right? And it's good to be knocked into shape and get that arrogance off because life's not a sprint. But, and you can only hold, hold that, that, that almost dampens someone's development but, but creates a good heart within them that you can see through to the end of their 30s. But once you're 40, you've got to be your own man. You have to be the product of, of everything that happened in your 20s and 30s, right? You can't be someone just saying, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full. When, when this is the time to develop your manhood, your personality, your gifting, your history, you know. So I think that generally that would, I would say, 38 onwards that, that you have to, have to release people. There's only there's some people are running, um, running multi-site churches that, that say got saved late on in life or maybe they're, they're, they're not a holistic enough as a person but they work well within a team, you know. But, but most a lot of people should be, you know, because I was thinking, oh, they're not mature enough. It's the same with an 18-year-old who's at home. Oh, they could never run their own house because they never even wash the dishes, right? But, but within three weeks of leaving the house, they're washing the dishes. Yeah. So maturity happens after you let go. And it's the same with, with men and women of faith, you know. Four more questions. Here we go, down the end there. Man, man in the uh, olive top. <laughs> you mentioned a couple of times uh, your mistakes or whatever yeah. about uh, putting some people in on team, eldership. Yes. Uh, too early, whatever. Yes. What would you say top three thing, indicators or something we should uh, look for, earmark to maybe make those decisions yes better. i think what you should i think everyone should be firstly given a project not a permanent place of ministry so i think if they're running uh hospitality say could you run it for six months up to christmas right and then we'll give you a big present for it thank you so much right because that's your opt-out clause once you say to someone hey you're running the ministry they think it's forever so the moment you pull them out they get a rejection complex and and most people aren't mature enough to handle that so they leave the church most people, most people come into the church, acceptance, acceptance, you love me, love me, love me. The moment you say, oh, we're going to step you down, 
most people leave the church. Very few people think, oh, fair enough. Okay, thank you. You know, so you want to be careful with promotion. And, so, and that's the problem. So you want to say to someone, be on the sound desk until Easter. Everything's a project. You know, but don't make it permanent unless you know that they're, they're, they're not a scarlet pimpernel. They're, they're an actual foundation stone. They're not scaffolding. They're foundation. You know, yeah. Hmm. Just furthering that question and back to your second session with putting the right people in the right projects. What if you've already got people in those positions that I suppose you haven't made it a project, they're permanent yeah. um, and should transition out? Yeah. Is there a oh, yeah. gracious way? I think what I, what I try and do, right, is I try and, is I try and go to God saying, God, what is it? If, if the will is for them not to be on singers, right, what is, the, what is your will? Because when I introduce it, I want to say to them, I'm really excited about you. And I really think that this other thing that's going, even if it's outreach or working down at the outreach shop, right, I really think this is brilliant for you. I think it'll lead. So, so have a think about coming off this and going on to that because I really think that it's brilliant. And you're actually being authentic. You're not actually ditching them. You're actually moving them to something that really is better for them because there's a place for everyone. But it's up to you to find the place and don't just leave it to them because their rejection complex will stop them finding it. So if you can find it for them, then you can pl- replace them somewhere. But if you can't find it, don't say anything. But really pray about it because people are precious and you don't want them thinking, oh, you don't love me anymore, which people think that every second when you, yeah. Ah, uh, this side, this side, moving over to this side. Question, thought, comment. This side. Claire, Claire, got something? Got something? Have a think of something. Claire wants to say something. Put the, give the microphone to Claire. She wants to say something. Okay, Chloe. Yeah, Chloe, Chloe first. Boy germs. Okay. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Yay. Just a comment. Thank you so much for having a wealth of information that you've brought with up, with oh, you, thank you, but for not putting it as forefront of what you're speaking about. Thank you for putting our church first. Thank you for being very um, honest and uh, transparent in yourself and your ministry and where you believe God has put you and in encouraging churches to move forward. So although you've brought so much wealth with you in the books, it seems like it's completely secondary to your purpose for being here. So I really appreciate the generosity of you coming and the genuineness that you've brought with you. Thank you. Oh, that's so lovely. Thank you so much. Oh, that means a lot. Oh, thank you so much. So nice. No, no. Yeah, they do. Success culture, you, you rub out failure. Yeah. I said on, on Sunday that the first church that Hillsong deliberately planted was in Milan. But no one knows about Hillsong Milan because it failed. So they rubbed it out of the history books, which was not a gift to any of us. They kept it in the history books. It'll be a great gift to us that nothing goes from success to success to success. Failure is part of the journey, you know. So it's, it's good for all of us to add it but not to add self-pity to it and make sure you don't add bitterness to it. Keep your heart clean. You can talk about a lot of things. 
if it's not clean, y- you have to limit what you say. You know. Um, I want to say thank you for saying yes to the invitation. Oh, it's been a great invitation. I want to say, you know, thank you even to Pastor Rob leading this church in this region and being obedient to mm. asking the questions. So as Josh would always say, we'd rather ask and get a no than not ask and yeah, hear you said 100%. yes. So thank you because you yeah. have been incredible from, I know that first time I just met you down in the lobby in Lincoln Hotel and I just knew straight away that you were the real deal. So thank you oh, for being so that lo- to oh. us. Oh, that's so, you're so lovely. Thanks, Pauline. Yeah, Stuart. Yeah. Could I ask it of Rob? Yeah, Rob, come on up, come on up. I hadn't realised these nine issues that you raised were part of a pastor's life. I've had to handle them all, but this, today you've put perspective on why they've been coming up. One of them, for instance, we're actually in the fifth season of seven years. But our churches continue to grow. But you put the perspective on it that one of them, we said, people who are in from the foundation. We only have three foundation people left, and it's new people coming in all the time. But I didn't work out that's why they're bringing the thing. Rob, could some of this be shared with some of the newer churches in, around that they don't have to make the mistakes that we've made? Well, I, I think I think it's you're getting, on the state executive. I am, yeah, of course, yeah, of course. But well, I would I would love to get Dave Gilpin around the state to our regions and and speaking to our pastors. Yeah. Um, but the the problem is there is if if I invite someone like Dave to do it, then I don't get a chance, and so then no one will invite me. So sorry, buddy. It's like <laughs> no. But the whole the whole thing about what what we have in our heart as an executive is to is to grow churches and develop pastors so uh under you know our previous leadership with josh brett our our mandate was to uh, pastor pastors um strengthen churches and produce leaders basically that something like that maybe that was wrong but it was almost that something something along those lines but but our goal still today are to to pastor our pastors so that we can produce leaders and build churches and uh, plant churches is what it was. So everyone memorised that. <laughs> so um, that, that is our, our intention. And being able to you know, bring someone who's done the journey of... Uh, what, what I really I, I found was interesting, I picked up on, on your bio things that, that is online, is has established churches. So a lot of people say, oh, I'm a church planter. But they, chur- they plant churches, but they don't last. And they say, yeah, I've planted 62 churches, but there's only one and a half left. Um, so establishing churches is what Dave has done, and that's where we can learn is how do we do that in our context that establishes things that stay, not things that once were. So, uh, But according to your, your question, Stuart, we have every intention in everything we do as a state to allow, uh, allow exposure of our pastors and their teams to this kind of stuff amen and that wasn't fair because i wasn't supposed to be having to do anything today <laughs> well done, oh gee thanks so much thanks I, I i for me right people say oh what's your vision right for me this is this is the everest for me 
I don't have a vision beyond doing this, right? And I, I sort of think maybe that's correct at my age, right? To to not be ambitious, but to realize that if I can make the if I can see this as the Everest and, and put my whole heart into this, then this is my future and my future's through other people, you know. So thank you so much for for fulfilling my heart uh, through listening and through me getting to know you and hopefully I'll be back again some stage. So God bless you, thank you.